0: guys. I am really excited for you to listen to this episode. I interviewed Tamika Meadows, who is a BCBA that lives in Atlanta. She has the blog iloveaba.com, which I absolutely love. She shares tons of simple and practical information about applied behavior analysis. She has over 15 years experience in the field in a wide range of settings. And I love her real-world approach. She uses a lot of regular language, which you know I'm really passionate about. And in our conversation, we put on our Mythbusters hat. So we go through different myths and misconceptions about applied behavior analysis and talk about why they're not true or sometimes they are true and what you should do about it. So let's jump right in. Tamika is absolutely hilarious and smart and fun. And this was a really great conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Tamika. Thank you so much for joining me. I am really excited to chat with you. Hi, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I just love getting to talk to other BCBAs who have a similar perspective that I do that are about disseminating and talking yes. in normal language and all yes. that kind of stuff. <laughs> Isn't that nice to talk like we're both people? And that everyone else can understand it? Right. Novel.
1: We we're just all people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So what um, brought you to the ABA world? I always love hearing kind of what brought people to ABA.
1: I um, do too. I love, uh, I call them origin stories. I love the origin stories. So um, I fell in. To the field, um, very backwards. I was in college and I was studying psychology. And one day on campus, I saw a flyer and I assumed it was for a babysitting job. So I took the number down. I (laughs) called the mom because I would, you know, you're a college student, you're always broke. So I called the mom and she was like, Yeah, come out and meet with me. Plan to be here about an hour. And I was like, Well, that's kind of weird. I was like, Okay. So I go to her house. And she starts talking to me about this thing called ABA therapy. And I had no point of reference for what she was talking about. I'd never heard of it. And uh, she was trying to help me. So she was like, well, have you seen the movie Rain Man? And I hadn't at the time. So I was like, no. And so she actually went and got videos of her son's therapy sessions. And she starts playing them for me. And I was just in shock because um, I got there and I met her son who did not respond to me at all, did not look at me, did not talk to me, which I wasn't used to. So I, I kind of didn't know how to interact with him. And uh, then on the video, he's talking and he's laughing. And I'm just like, wait, why is he so different? And um, she starts telling me about, well, you know, he has autism and he receives this therapy and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what is this? And I want to be a part of it. Like I don't, I've never heard of this before, but this is really cool. And I started working with him just a couple of afternoons um, after I had class. And that grew into being his primary lead therapist, being the one to update the book, being the one to fly to South Carolina, which is where our consultant was, and get training and then come back and train the team. And then that grew into other cases. And it it just snowballed. And I um, finished my degree and was done with psychology (laughs) and I waved bye-bye and I said, yeah, I need to get certified and I need to get certified now because I don't want to do anything else except this. And it it just took off from there.
0: Oh my gosh. I love this story so much. I love that you showed up (laughs) thinking you were babysitting. (laughs) I really did.
1: I I expected her to be like, okay, so Tuesdays at eight o'clock. No, that is not what it was. It's not what it was.
0: But it's always like a lot of the origin stories, as you called them. It's about one kid or yes. interaction that just like yes. hooks you. It,
1: that's all it took for me. It just and and I um I I reconnected with his mom a few years back, and it made me feel super super old because he's like in high school. I was like, what? He's in high school and like he's not blonde anymore. Like he looks <laughs>
0: completely
1: different. Um, and he's doing great. I mean, it's God. It's crazy it's, it's
0: so fun to see oh, that like long-term progress yes. a lot of the students that I had when I first started teaching are now men like they are adults they're like two heads crazy? taller than me they have beards oh, like oh my like, god are you
1: isn't that just the weirdest feeling like
0: it's insane
1: how come you grew but I didn't like I'm before yeah. what happened <laughs> I
0: <don't know. laughs> Oh, I love that. Well, okay. So today, Tamika and I am really excited about this. As as she said, we're going to be MythBusters. So we're going to go through some of the common misconceptions, myths about ABA, because there's a lot out there. And we'll probably think of new ones as we go through this conversation. <laughs> um, but go through, you know, the misconceptions that people have, and and I hear them in weird places. I hear them in IEP meetings. I hear them when I tell someone what I do at a cocktail party, yes. and someone thinks I'm currently analyzing their behavior. I'm yep. like, nope, I'm not. Yep. You have psychic powers. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and um, just kind of go through, you know, what it is and isn't, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yes. So my first one in this, I don't know if you hear this one the most frequently, but this is what I hear the most frequently that ABA teaches robotic skills.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely that we are we are the people to call when the situation is really bad or, you know, people don't know what to do, kind of at their wits end and and we come in and we arrive and we do this really forced, unnatural stuff. And uh, everything's better now. And okay, you can leave now. And um, I've even had people say to me, "Yeah, I've heard about that ABA stuff, but she's too smart for that, or he, oh. he's older, <laughs> so so that wouldn't be best because you know he, he's not going to want to sit at a table for four hours, and it's just like
0: ah." And that ABA is the same as, ABA is only flashcards. Like, yeah. oh, well, he doesn't really need flashcards. Flashcards
1: so. and Skittles and stickers. And you're off and running.
0: Yeah. So, so what do you say to that when someone's like, oh, no, he's he's too old. He's too smart. What's your, what's your professional response there?
1: I usually like to explain that ABA is just a way of understanding how we learn. And it is just... It's a lot of people who over a long period of time have studied the way that new behaviors are formed, the way that we vary our behavior, uh, what it takes for us to stop engaging in a specific behavior. And then we take that you know, kind of library of information and we apply it to specific situations that are happening right here, right now. So if there's something happening right here and right now, that I can observe and see and measure, then we can work on it, is, is basically the way I explain that. And it's really that broad because the reaction is usually, oh, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it is a lot of stuff. We, we do a lot more than people think uh, we can do or we can address or we can work on. And doing a lot does not mean, and now you'll never do that again ever in life. That That's not correct either. Sometimes it's a behavior that's just happening too frequently. Sometimes it's a behavior that um, is appropriate over here and it's not appropriate over here. Um, when I say that, that always makes me think about my clients who have been flashers, uh, which basically <laughs> means that clothing is optional in their world, <laughs> and in my world where I live, clothing is not optional. So, <laughs> so a situation like that is something where okay, obviously. I'm not going to come in and tell you, you can't be nude ever, but how about you can't be nude when people are present? Like, let's start there. Nude is a private thing. Um, because sometimes the parents will say, well, I'm okay. You know, if he comes home from school and wants to get completely naked and then I have to point out, okay, I know he's four right now, but one day, He's going to be 14 and then he's going to be 24 and then he's going to be 34. And he's still going to have the idea in his mind that, hey, mom's all right with this. And, you know, you're probably not going to be all right with it
0: at that point. Oh, I, I use that all the time because there yeah. are so many things that are cute when yeah. kids are little. When they're but little. Man, it's it's not cute when they're 15. And it's, it's not, not cute. cute.
1: You know, and everyone's like, oh, cover your eyes. He's naked. And it's. <laughs> I, I know he's four right now, but he's going to have a big boy body. Yep. Night. And you know, big boy bodies need, need things on them. So how about we start working yeah. on that now and then you don't have to call me when he's 24, you know, yeah. like it won't be necessary. So I, I like to just kind of, cause I feel like that myth is kind of based in a very narrow understanding. So I just like to kind of stretch it out and, and help people make it bigger what
0: I think that myth comes from just seeing that, like, super traditional ver- you know version yes. Yes. of ABA where you're at a table yes. for three hours doing only discrete trial with yes. forced eye contact. And, like, the forced eye contact thing, I see that develops a lot of misconceptions, too. Me too. Me too. And too. I'm not about forced eye contact right. at all. It's so right. unnatural. And that makes it robotic.
1: Well, I can tell you in my own personal life, I have started to pay attention to how often I fail to give eye contact and it's pretty high. I don't don't know if you've ever tried, but um, in my, in my regular day, I don't look a whole lot of people directly in their eyes. I look at their face. I look at their mouth. You know, if a cashier's handing me money, I look at the money, but I'm not going to look Directly into your eyes,
0: because also that is super creepy. It's like very that would natural. Like if different. you were if you were to be a target and pay for your your stuff right. and stare the cashier in their eyes, it would be super creepy.
1: You would creep them out. You would creep yourself out, yeah. and, and you would make it this awkward encounter. And so I feel like it's so ridiculous to have this artificial expectation of our clients. When, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on myself when I don't even do that. I don't exactly in their eyes. I don't want to, I can't, yeah. I don't want to. Everybody in your crew identifies as either big Mac burger, McNuggets or Mc Crispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular
0: price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I always tie, when people bring up robotic skills, I always tell them, you know, one of the foundational components of ABA is that we're working on socially significant yes. behaviors. Yes. So I'm not going to target anything that isn't socially significant for your child or your client or your student.
1: 100%, it, it we can't teach in a bubble, you know, like we, we have to make it applicable to when I'm not with you and we're not in this space together. Um, and I find that eye contact specifically, because I, I hear that almost all the time, almost all the time when I'm meeting with a new client, he never looks at me and okay. But what I notice is that when I'm getting to know that child, they do give eye contact. It, it might be rare, It it might be very brief, but they absolutely already know how to do that. So so again, what you're really saying to me is, I want it to happen more. You're you're not saying it doesn't happen. You're saying, I want it to happen more, and I want it to happen when I'm trying to engage with my child. And so that in itself is a little bit of a different uh, complaint than the first one of, oh, he just doesn't make eye contact. He probably does. He probably does, but it's very much on his terms when he wants to and when he feels like it.
0: And then it's then pulling in again that socially significant opponent. It's it's socially significant in a conversation to right. make more frequent eye contact. Right. So then you're like, cool. This is a goal we can all get on board with. Absolutely. With in a in a socially significant way.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right.
0: Next next myth I hear a lot. ABA uses mostly punishment.
1: Ah uh, yes, we are. Uh, We're cool. mean and we just enjoy torture. And that's why we chose this profession. (laughs) Um, I I think that similar to what you stated previously, some of that comes from one situation, one scenario um, sometimes with not so great providers or not so great companies, because that is a very real thing. And that does happen. And people, go from that experience and they think, okay, this is what all of it is. Like I had this experience, so everyone who does this looks just like this. And no, that is not accurate, that is not the truth. Um, If that is what someone has experienced or seen, what I would say to them is, you had a really poor experience with something that was calling itself ABA, but in actuality, it was not. Because by definition, it has to be individualized. So if it was not individualized, that was something else. Um, And in order to be effective as as a therapeutic model, we have to know what this learner likes, what they're into, what they find motivating, or how in the world do I know how to teach you if I don't know what you like?
0: Exactly. And, and, and that point you made about like that misinformation from one person, it takes man one bad apple to really, to really like taint the whole field. And I've been actually doing some, some presentations recently with some ABA clinics and talking to all BCBAs and saying, you know, talking about our reputation and we're not, we're not known as the nice guys, but, but we're not. So, but saying, you know, like I, I really dawned on me, you know, people meet, a lot of doctors in their life. Sure. And they for sure meet some doctors that they don't like that have bad bedside manner. Yes. But no one writes off medicine You're because right. you meet a you meet a lot of doctors. You're right. But for behavior analysts, people don't meet a lot of behavior analysts. This is true. So if you meet one or two BCBAs, that can affect your whole perception of the field. Absolutely. And yes. And so really, you know, not that you want to throw other people under the bus, but sometimes you kind of have to to be like, no, no, no. Like that isn't cool. That's not what this is. Right.
1: Right. And, and I, I do hear from a lot of, of parents, especially in either international or rural areas uh, where, where the disparity is even greater. So maybe there's two clinics where you live and you either work with this person or this person. And, and it becomes even more vital in a situation like that, that, that what is going on is ethical and it's professional and, you know, you're being treated Fairly, it I mean, the stakes are even higher because you don't have a lot of options.
0: Yeah, that's true. And you have some great blog posts that I'm gonna link in the show notes of this about how to select an ABA provider because yeah. that's a whole oh, complicated decision.
1: It really is. And and I I wish I could say that. Oh, well, you just, you know, you just go to the, the website and you pull one. Out. <laughs> I really wish it was that simple. It's not. It's not. And I've I've heard from so many families. Where I'm just like, I'm so sorry that you went through that because it should not have been that difficult. And you shouldn't have been talked to like that. Like, it's it's just, you know, I want people to know their rights as a an yeah. parent and a caregiver. Like, you don't have to deal with that. You don't have yeah. to disrespect it like that.
0: That jumps ahead to another myth I was going to say that you know BCBAs are cold, emotionless, heartless, non collaborative. Yes, arrogance. I hear that. Arrogant. A whole
1: lot. Um, I I, usually it's it's something like I'll I'll say something, like I'll say something like oh well I don't know or I'll say oh well let me let me go read up on that and get back to you and they'll just kind of look at me in shock and I'll be like what what's wrong and they're like no it's I I don't think I've ever heard that I'm like oh wow. (laughs) Well, well, you'll hear it a lot because I don't know everything and I have <laughs> no problem saying I don't know everything because um, I don't want you to think I do and then be disappointed when I don't. So I think that as clinicians, we have to be comfortable um, communicating to someone when, oh, we're waiting outside of my expertise now. Like we were, in, we were in my area and now we're tiptoeing outside of my area and I need to let you know that um, that I'm going to need some time to go look into this before I answer your question.
0: And I think people hesitate to do that because they're worried that people are going to lose confidence in them, Agreed. but you actually have more respect for people that do that. I do. Like, I definitely, I, mean, I do too. Yeah. I'm like, Oh good. Yeah. Read up on that exactly. <laughs> like- because
1: I want you to, to take my question seriously. And so that tells me that you're taking it pretty seriously because you want to give me the most up-to-date information.
0: Exactly. And you know, I think there's just a disconnect as a behavior analyst because it's a science and we're all about our data and our numbers, Yes, but we can, we can put our scientist hat on while still being warm fuzzy. And we can Absolutely. still, you know, it this is still, you know, I, I rant on this when I, I used to teach practicum in, in grad school courses, but it's it's someone's kid, it's yes. someone's baby. Yes. Like even if they're 24, it's someone's baby Absolutely. that we're talking about. Absolutely. And-, and humility goes a long way, you
1: know. I think that for uh, for myself, becoming a mom kind of opened up a whole new level of empathy as a clinician and to be very honest, I had some moments where I was like, wow, I was a cocky little thing. Yes. Oh my God. Me too. (laughs) Was because you, you got to keep in mind, you know, for many of us, this is something that we entered into and obtained when we were pretty young in life and hadn't had a whole lot of life experiences. And so if, if I know, and my book tells me that this procedure is right, then this procedure is right. And you not being able to do it means you must be wrong. Because this procedure is right. And then life knocked on my door and was like, yeah, sometimes there's other things going on in that parent's life uh, that interfere with your well-written procedure. And it was like, hmm,
0: yep, just learn that lesson. And- it- I mean, when it's your own kid, it's like a whole <laughs> different ballgame. It's a ball whole game.
1: different ballgame. And I, um, I say to my- my BCBA friends you know that that being a BCBA it doesn't make parenting any easier it just means that you you know when you've messed up yeah. like you, and you, you you're in that moment fully aware like uh- oh I just I'm I'm reinforcing this behavior right now. I'm reinforcing this. Uh Uh-oh. And you know. And it's like, okay, well, all right. Then we know. So we'll deal with that tomorrow. But I mean, mean, literally, last
0: month, I was heading out of town. And before I had to head out of town, I was doing a talk for all BCBAs. And my daughter had a huge meltdown before daycare. Uh And I was literally like offering her money like I was like what should I buy you what do you want like I'm gonna go to Target right now and buy you eight presents I'm like what am I doing what am I doing and then I'm like going to tell BCBA like you have to be that I'm like what I'm like such a hypocrite but you know what that's that's the kind of stuff
1: that the the people that we work with want to hear absolutely they want to know that you coming in As this expert, you understand that there's going to be those life moments where you just throw everything out the window and you just do what comes natural, and so do we. So do we. And it's just the only difference is I know when I'm doing it. And, and, and in my head, I'm like, okay, so for tomorrow, this is how this needs to go. Because today yeah. was a loss. Today was not a win. Got it. Yep. And it's just- Not every day's a win. The average parent, they don't know what to do. Like they know they're stuck in a cycle. They know it's not working, but they need someone to come in and say, here's how to get out of this cycle. And in order to do that, like we can't come in- with an attitude of superiority and do that, we have to come in like, oh, oh my God, been there, been there.
0: Yeah, universalize the problem. Like I, I too have had that. Exactly,
1: like that's oh, that's no big deal. Here, here's how you you handle that. You know, you're not a bad mom. You just you had a bad day.
0: That's all. Exactly. Yeah. So, kind of tying into my 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 bad day example about bribery, because that example was bribery. Yes. Another myth I hear a lot is ABA uses bribery.
1: Hundred percent. I hear that all the time. We just it's it's this very forced, artificial way of getting someone to do something, and then when they step out of that person's presence they won't do it unless you have the the same thing that person did and there's no carryover, there's no generalization, which again, I feel like people who say that to me, it's usually because they had a really poor quality experience where there was no generalization of what was going on in those therapy sessions. And the reason why we see that happen is because generalization has to be intentional. It has Mm -hmm. to be embedded into the way we teach. So if I'm trying to get a particular skill to mastery, I have to include the caregivers in that skill because they need to know what I'm doing. They need to know what their child is capable of. And they also need to know, okay, you should expect to struggle with this a little bit more than I'm struggling right now. And I tell people that. Because Mm -hmm. mom and your dad, so there's a whole learning history there with you that I don't have. I'm a blank slate. So so if, if I react in a certain way, it's like, oh, well, let me back off. If mom or dad do it, it's like, hey, wait a minute. I, come on now, it's me. Like we, we know each other. Yeah. You know, be that softy, <laughs> be that softy. So there, there's a whole different, um, it's kind of like, and I'm sure you've seen this, kids at school versus kids at home. Oh, totally. So behavior at school is just your, your perfection. You're smart and you're curious and you know, but at home, nowhere near. And, and again, it's it's because I'm their teacher. There's a different expectation of me than of mom and dad. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's the
0: same thing and that can even start to for to to develop within the classroom even when kids you know in self-contained rooms are in one class Absolutely. for several years they start to have that reactivity with different staff members like i can get away with this with this para but not with that para and not with that teacher that even starts to have its own little culture going on in the classroom it really
1: does because it's 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 just human behavior like we all do it to some extent, we behave certain ways with certain people and we behave in other ways with other people. It's just that for a lot of the individuals that we serve, that kind of discrimination point of what do I do here and what do I do over here? Sometimes that needs a lot of work. And and so it's, it's very hard to expect the client to just know okay, Mm -hmm. this is totally inappropriate at home. And this is totally inappropriate when Miss Tamika leaves. Like that's asking a lot of an individual who has discrimination challenges. So, so it's really getting them to a point where they're better able to understand, okay, yes, I am not the one who lives with you and wakes you up in the morning and cleans your boo-boos. That's not me. But that also doesn't mean you don't have to respect mom and dad. It it doesn't mean that like you still have to respect mom and dad Even though I'm like this authority figure and they're like this loving, cuddly mom and dad figure. Like there's still a level of respect that you have to show.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. How do you explain the difference between bribery and reinforcement. I love hearing how people explain this because this gets misunderstood oh, so much. Like I when we use reinforcers, much. people are like, oh yeah, we're going to bribe them.
1: Right, and I, I mean, I've had parents say that to me. Like, okay, so then I bribe. And I'm like, nope, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, let's stop you right there. That's not what we're doing because that yep. doesn't work. Um, I had it explained to me when I was in grad school that if the behavior has not occurred yet, and you are giving something, you are giving a brat because it, you can't reinforce the absence of it. It hasn't happened yet. So if we're in the grocery store and you're tantruming and, and I'm like, okay, here's a Snickers bar. You haven't done the thing I want you to do yet. So if instead I say, okay, remember when you're quiet and you're calm, you get blank. I wait for it to happen and then I give you that item. Okay, now I have just reinforced your behavior. Otherwise, I'm just bribing you in the hopes that you'll do that thing I want you to do. And that does not work long term. All you're teaching that individual is: if I want something in the grocery store, I tantrum. Yeah. That's what you've just taught. And I know that's not what you meant to taught to teach, but that is what you just taught. And so you have to wait for that behavior to occur before you can give that jackpot kind of reaction, or you're going to end
0: up feeding something you didn't mean to feed. And it's such a seemingly small distinction, but it like literally changes everything. It sounds so small. Like what's
1: the big deal? It works. It's effective. And I know it works. And I know it's effective, but it's not effective for the reasons you want it to be. And, and over
0: time it's going to grow. Yeah, that's I had a big realization as that as a parent. Oh my god, because gosh, yeah. bribery does work in the moment. It works. Yeah. And it reinforces my behavior because my reinforcer is getting the meltdown to end. Because now so, they're quiet and they're calm. Yeah, they're quiet. They and you can go to work, anymore. you can do whatever you, know? you need to do. And it's great. But yeah, it's it, but it's a band-aid. You know, it's Very it's so it's right. actually teaching the child that they should tantrum to get what they want. Right. And it's why. Like you mentioned this earlier, people get stuck in a cycle. They do. Because we get stuck in, okay, they, they they tantrum, they melt down, they act like, a you know, whatever. We give in, it stops, it happens again. Like it of just keeps it's cycling. Again because
1: you just taught me something. So it, it's yep. absolutely going to happen again, except now it's not just going to be the grocery store. It's going to be anywhere I don't want to be. and And you're not letting me leave. Guess what I'm going to do? So that's how these things grow and morph. To the point where it's like, I'm meeting a new family and they're like, okay, so the grocery store, if we don't leave when he wants to leave, he's taking his clothes off. He's spitting, he's kicking, he's, he's knocking down shelves. And it's like, okay, where did that start? That's mm-hmm. somewhere. That wasn't what he did on day one. Yeah. Uh, so on day one, that's where you see where that behavior is born, but it doesn't, it's like a child. It doesn't stay a newborn. It grows and it grows and it grows and it grows <laughs> to the point where you're calling for help.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so I, God, I, I could like live and just like this talk about meltdown moment for a long time. But okay, let's get back to our myths. I love talking about this. So, this kind of this is a dual one. One, you know, ABA only works with kids with autism. Yep. And the next kind of thing out of people's mouths, too, is ABA works to erase autism. Oh. So, myth there. Oh, man. I, I because of the fact that I, I do what
1: I do and I have a blog and I kind of decided to, put that big old target on my back and, and step into the public eye um, completely in naivete, by the way, I I did not expect that, but I hear a lot from anti ABA people. Um, They love to reach out to me and (laughs) to, to tell me all about how horrible it is to completely try to, behavior modify these, these individuals and remove everything that's unique and different and creative about them. So they'll, they'll just be, you know, quote unquote normal. Um, and I know a lot of people feel very strongly about that. Um, and I just, it just, it hurts my heart because I feel like as a clinician, personally, my goal is always to get to know my client as a person. So I, I want to know what makes you tick because I'm just, I'm weird like that. Like, I just, I want to know what makes you tick. What do you like? What do you like to do? Why do you like that thing? Like years ago when I was like brand new to the field, I remember staying after my session was over and just watching my clients play and just being fascinated by like the things they would do. And why are you picking that up and dropping it? Like, what does that look like to you? Like, it was just so interesting to me. So just the idea that I would go in and say, okay, all this cool stuff about you that I don't really understand. We're just gonna get rid of it, cause I don't get it, so it's gotta go. And we're just gonna put all this new stuff in. I feel like it's such a disservice to all of the clinicians who are out there working so hard with the individuals that they serve. I feel like if that is the kind of relationship parents are having with their ABA providers, again, you are dealing with someone who is doing some stuff and calling it ABA, and that is not ABA. Because Mm -hmm. that should never be the goal that you're not allowed to be a weird person just because you're participating in this treatment. There's a lot of weird people. I'm a weird person. I'm a weird person. Right, like that that, that doesn't mean (laughs) that my weirdness has to go away. Like, I'm a weird person. So I I get very offended by that on behalf of my clients, that someone would try to make it seem like you can't flap, and you can't tiptoe walk and you can't like the color blue and you can't wear a red shirt every Wednesday because you need to be quote unquote normal. I think that's utterly mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, I think there's some merit in it. I, I, I think there are some providers out there. Who,
0: I know a lot of these myths are like not totally. Yeah, they're,
1: they're not <laughs> totally fantastical. You know, like there are some providers out there that will tell families Oh, we got to get rid of that. Oh, that's yeah. got to go away. And I hate hearing those stories. I hate it because it's it's not based in anything that is empirical or data. It's strictly
0: exactly opinions.
1: Like because I think that looks weird. You have to stop. That is utter insanity. Yeah.
0: I always ask people. I'm like, is this a problem for you right. or a problem for the child? Because right. if it's just a problem for you, you're a grown adult. You can get over it.
1: I mean, is it is it harmful? Is it disrupting something? Is the teacher calling you every day saying this is happening again? Is it is it to the point where this is now a barrier or is it just something you don't like? Because if it's something you don't like, well, guess what? Even if this child was not autistic, this child is going to do some things you don't like. Like that's part <laughs> of having kids. They're going to do things yeah. you don't like, you don't understand, you wish they would stop. My own child scripts. When Frozen mm-hmm. came out, she was about four. She had that entire movie memorized. Like, my <laughs> scene would walk up and down the hall and say the entire scene to herself and just laugh and laugh and laugh. Now, just imagine me as a BCBA being like, okay, so let's make a behavior plan. We're going to go ahead. <laughs> like, that would be insane. She's four. Yeah. It's her favorite movie. Like, of course she's going to say lines from it. So, so you got to look at things in context and 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 kind of know when to take off the clinical hat and just put on a person hat, and say, you know what, I might not know why you do that, but I can tell you like to do it. So okay, that's that's something you like to do, and I'm okay with you doing that thing you like to do.
0: Yeah. And there's sometimes a disconnect just between like kid behaviors, like you're yes. saying, like kids like to sing their favorite songs or run it. Kids like to run in the hallway. Kids like to say bad words. Like when we're looking at behaviors to target, not that we're going to allow those behaviors, right. but you also have to put your like developmental glasses yes. on too of like yes. okay, they're a twelve year old and they're telling me to shut up. Right. Like, yeah, that's pretty age appropriate. Exactly. Like
1: And, and I, I have had the, again, humility is so important. I have had some great parents who have pointed that out to me in really nice ways, but it has, it has made me have like a really major shift in the way I think about things where I'll be, I'll be explaining something to them and they'll kind of stop me and they'll be like, but isn't that something he would be doing anyway? And I was just like "Rot!" like, okay, yep, you're right. That is something he would be doing anyway, that that has nothing to do with autism. Like that's just, he's seven. That's what that's yep. called. he's seven. And he thinks it's funny to, you know, put penis in songs and talk about <laughs> boobs. Like he's seven. So yep. that that is not anything unique to your child's diagnosis. And they brought that up to me. And I'm so grateful for that because I did kind of have blinders on in that area and was just so focused on let's let's line up the deficits and let's make strategies that, that you do have to be intentional about. If there was no diagnosis whatsoever, would this child still be engaging in this particular behavior? If so, then it's really not that unusual and we just kind of want to help them understand, okay, that might be okay with your friends on the playground to talk like that, but When you talk like that in front of mom and dad, you're going to have consequences.
0: Yeah. Then it's just teaching the discrimination skill, (laughs) like not get rid of of this. Who can I? And I tell, yeah, I tell teachers all the time because you kind of get stuck in your like special ed world that, you know, go, go on the playground, go in the hallways, go in the gen ed classrooms of the grade that you teach. So you have an idea of what should be expected and unexpected? Because you get a little stuck in your own head. We do. I, th-
1: I, think we, I think we all do to some degree. Like if you maybe entered this field and you haven't worked with a lot of individuals without any kind of diagnoses, I, I think we can start to see everything as a deficit and everything as a red flag, um, which is why it's it's so important to kind of, like you're saying, have that real world connect of okay, what do typical 16-year-olds talk about when no parents are around? You would be shocked.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, you would be shocked. You yeah.
1: You would be shocked and disgusted. So so let's not <laughs> act like it's so unusual that yeah. a 16-year-old with with you know with autism wants to talk about sex all
0: day. Like that's not yeah. odd at all. And on the other side, when we're selecting skills to teach making sure they're socially appropriate. Yes. I was in a high school last year and the teacher was working on with one of the students teaching greetings. And she was teaching him to walk up to people and put out his hand Uh-oh. and say, hello. Uh-oh. And I was like, when is the last time you have ever seen a 16 or 17 oh year old boy goodness. walk up to a pier and put out his hand and say, hello. So I made her all the walk with me yeah. in the hallways, yeah. which ha- high school hallways during passing periods is like the worst place like zone, in the world for me. And I don't want to it's a war zone. <laughs> it's like smelly and I'm like five feet tall. So I get like trampled. But I made her sit with me for passing periods, And I was like, you watch how these boys greet each other. And she laughed and she was like, they don't even talk. They, they just like make eye. It, it was like they, they product, just wasn't it. Yeah. <laughs> they like grunt or they, you know, nod their head. And I was like, yeah, we got to go back to the drawing board on what we're teaching here.
1: <laughs> that is hilarious. And I mean, I I see it all the time. Like I'll, I'll start on a new case or with a new family. And um, I'll see these social skills that have clearly been taught. Like I remember meeting a five-year-old last summer. And I was watching him play a board game with his sister and they were like, okay, it is your turn. And then she would be like, thank you for telling me it is my turn. And I was like, are you kidding me? What (laughs) is this? This is, this is like a PSA for what not to do. Like it was so forced and artificial and unnatural. And the mom was like, yeah, the last PCA worked really hard on that. It's like, oh boy. Okay. (laughs) Okay, like we're we're gonna need to undo almost all of
0: that. exactly.
1: I'm so sorry, but no, no, he can't go to school and do that.
0: Yes, <laughs> so I feel like our overall maybe theme of this is not all quote unquote ABA is created equal, and I say quote unquote because a lot of things, like you've said, that are masquerading yes. as quality ABA I, I won't even are not an ABA.
1: That's not what they are. They're they're just using yeah. Name. That's not what that is. No.
0: Because, you know, like things we've said, for it to be applied behavior analysis, it has to be evidence-based. Yes. It has to be socially significant. Yes. It has to take into account client preferences. 100%. And if it's not doing that, then you're right. It's not ABA. It's not.
1: It's, they're just calling it that. That's not what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I could talk about this way longer, <laughs> but I know you are super busy. Where can people um, learn more about you? Tell me about your books. Tell me about your blogs. So the, the
1: blog is the best place to to reach me because there's, there's actually, there's a a link to my bio and then you can contact me directly through there. Um, it's iloveaba.com and it has all of the information on there about the books, um, which are available on Amazon. And so all of my books, I, well, I used to say were entry level because I was expecting people who were either new to the field or parents to buy them. And then I got a lot of feedback from people who were already in the field who were like, you know what? It was good as like a refresher course. Or it was mm-hmm. good to use in a training. And so I, I try not to say that anymore um, and just let whoever wants to get it get it. But they are very, very basic and they're very introductory. So if a BCBA was having a hard time with a particular family and wanted to give them something that you don't have to stand over their shoulder and decipher for them as they read, it would be great for that. Like, here you go, here's a book and you'll be able to understand everything that's in this book. Um, So the blog would be the best way to reach out to me, to contact me, to find out what other materials I have. It also has a free resource library on it. So if the, If you're trying to find something and you kind of just need some ideas, you don't really want to purchase something, I would say just check out the free resources area because a lot of those I made with particular clients in in mind. And then I just kind of stripped it of all identifying information and threw it up in that section. Um, so it's a lot of things like program templates, visuals, um, parent training contracts, you know, stuff that as a new BCBA, you might not really be confident in making for yourself. And you just kind of want to see, well, okay, how do other people make this? That would be a great place to look for things like that.
0: Awesome. I love it. Oh, thank you so thank much. You. This has been so much it fun. Been fun.
1: <laughs> I very much appreciate it. I love just getting to put... Accurate information out there because there's so much out there that's just completely not true.
0: Yes, yes. Well, thanks again, Tamika. If you would have told me a few years ago that my favorite part of my job is getting up in front of sometimes a few hundred people and giving a presentation on data or behavior, academics, I would have thought you were crazy. I did not always like public speaking. Actually, to be totally honest, public speaking was something I used to be pretty afraid of. But now it's literally my favorite part of my job. I love being in a room of my people, of the special ed world, teachers and parents and clinicians, and everyone that's on the front lines that's working so hard for our students to give them the best opportunities and the best classroom experience. I love being in a room of everyone that understands how hard this job can be, but also how amazing it is and how important those little victories are on a daily basis. When I do a PD, my goal is to bring value. I want to bring action items, ideas and strategies that you can do tomorrow in your classroom. I have sat through too many professional developments that either didn't apply to me or were too hypothetical and philosophical. And my special ed heart always wanted to know, what do I do next? What do I do tomorrow? If you are interested in learning more about how I can come to your school to do a professional development, please visit theautismhelper.com backslash speaking. There's a contact form as well as a lot of information about all of the different sessions I give. I'm happy to answer any questions and work with your school district. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback.